0: All right, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Hebrews chapter 8. We're still looking at pulling back the curtain on the old and the new. And this morning we're going to look at the the better covenant in chapter 8, verse 6 through 13. Now that's what I want to look at this morning. We sung about it. We we got over our difficulties this morning. And, uh, of course, if it happened and I was over there we wouldn't we wouldn't have anything on the screen and uh but those guys those techies know all that stuff so they do what they have to do but this morning I really want to look at something that as I was growing uh as a Christian in theological thought I really didn't have a grasp on and and it wasn't for a while that I began to get a grasp on that and and it's the very idea the great biblical idea of the covenant the covenant our text here in hebrews begins to deal with that very important thought look at your bibles right away let's get right to it this morning we waste some time here but let's get right to it hebrews chapter 8 verse 6 look what it says but now He has ordained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Now, ordinarily, a covenant is an agreement. That's how we basically understand it. It's agreement entered into by two people. It's usually dependent on conditions. There's usually conditions in the agreement. And usually the two parties then mutually agree, all right, this is what we're going to do. Let's make this covenant. Let's make this agreement. And either, if either of break the conditions, then the covenant would be null and void. That's how we usually think of covenant. In fact, when you come to the Word of God, it's used in that way several places. Sometimes it's not used in that way. For example, if you go to the Old Testament and if you ask, well, there are two really words for covenant. One in the Old Testament. uh, There's actually three, but two in the New Testament. But when the Old Testament translates the word, it uses a particular word. But the Old Testament word for covenant is barit. It's used for clan alliances. We see that in Genesis. It's used for personal agreements. It's used for legal contracts. It's used for loyal contracts. And the one we're most familiar with, it is used for marriage agreements. Dave and Emma, right? Look look quickly over to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. It gives us a sense there on how it's used where it says in Malachi chapter 2, in verse number 14, The scriptures tell us, yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and the wife by covenant. Okay, God, usually a a contract brings witnesses. We witness it. God's the witness here in the marriage contract. And of of course, the, the Bible says God hates divorce. He hates the breaking up, uh, the disloyalty to a contract, to an arrangement made between two parties in which God is always the witness because marriage is not a Christian ordinance. It is a creation ordinance, right? So God the Creator is witness at every wedding of two people who come together. But most importantly, this word covenant is used to denote a close relationship which God entered into with his people. First with Noah, then with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Remember Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. All right, so it would be after Jacob their his prosperity, but especially Abraham. Now, again, in understanding this, turn to Leviticus chapter 26 and notice verse 42 to verse 45 in the Old Testament, just to get some sense of it. Leviticus 26 in verse number 42. It says there in the Word of God, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land, verse 43, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They, they, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinance and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God, and I am The Lord. So in the Old Testament, we see that this agreement that God made was an agreement between Himself and people and nations. Of course, after Jacob, God made a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel. Now, that was, of course, the Mosaic covenant. And by this last covenant, that the Israelites have, or this old covenant, remember the old and the new, this old covenant that God had given him it was a covenant of agreement. The people were bound to obey God's will as expressed in the Mosaic Law. They were bound by that. He promises them as God, His protection and blessing on them, if they obey Him. And if they don't obey Him, He threatens trans- the transgressors, the severest of punishments, and instead of bringing blessing on them, he brings what on them? Cursing, right? So it was disagreement that God says, this is what I want you to do, All right, And of course, when, when God brings that before the people, then the people would affirm that, agree to it, and then do what God says. That's how it was designed. That's how the Mosaic law was designed. Now, when you get to the New Testament, though, in the book of Hebrews here, the New Testament also uses a word for covenant, and it's the word diatheke. Now, I want you to listen to that word, because the, the regular word used in the New Testament for covenant is sunatheke. Sun. All right, we get the word synagogue, synagogue, together with. Synonym, a word that is like another word. It's with the other word. So again, the Greek use of the word there is the word agreement. So if this word synotheke is mean, it means that in that word, two parties agree together with. In fact, this term always describes an agreement entered in on equal terms, that the parties to the sunetheke are at the same level and each bargain with each other as to what the terms would be. But here in Hebrews, And this is how amazing the Lord is in using language to steer away from any kind of wrong thought that anyone would have when it comes to this better covenant. And God uses another word, Spirit of God, in writing it, and that's diatheke, and it does not mean agreement. You know what it means? It means a will. A will, like a last will and testimony. Like the wills you and I are supposed to have. Right? We always say we're going to get one, but we never do, right? And then it's too late. All right, a will is is an important document, no doubt about it. The conditions of a will are not made on equal terms. They are made entirely by one person. Legal terms is that person is the testator. And the other party cannot alter the terms but can only accept or refuse the terms which usually inc- includes inheritance. Now, again, to get a sense, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15. It says this, For this reason he is the meteor of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place, for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the internal inheritance. Look at verse sixteen for when a covenant for where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. So it has to be a will he's talking about here, not just a regular agreement between two parties because God's making no agreements in this covenant. He's making a will. Now, someone has to die in order for the will to be effective, to go into effect. And that's exactly what happened. And that's why chapter 9 of Hebrews is all going to be about the death of Christ. Because the covenant or the will has to be ratified by the blood. Not the blood of bulls and goats, but the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of God, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. It must be done by him, so this word is a word that says to us why our relationship to God is described as a diatheke, or this covenant for for the terms of which only one person is responsible. That a relationship is offered to us solely on the initiative and grace of God. You realize that, right? In other words, when we as Christians use the word for this new, this better covenant, we must always remember that it does not mean that man made a bargain with God on equal terms, or any terms, or made a bargain at all. It always means That the whole initiative is with God. The terms are His terms, and man cannot alter them the slightest. That's why this covenant is the final covenant. That's why this is the new covenant. That's why it's the better covenant. Nobody can mess with it. So for us to say, well, Lord, if I do enough good works, then you have to honor our agreement. No, it's not even in there. It doesn't even come into the equation. It is not about you. It's about God's grace. You you see what he's doing here. He's eliminating any thought in the Jewish mind to add anything to this will. And get out of your mind that it was even an agreement where you had something to do with it. Because you didn't. It's all the initiative God of God. So see, the point being made by the author of Hebrews is that under the Old Covenant, God offered the people of Israel a uni- unique relationship to himself. It's all over the old, tes- the old Testament and the Old Covenant. But the whole relationship was entirely dependent on what? Keeping the law. Now, what was the problem with that? The people couldn't keep the law. They just couldn't do it. In fact, let's turn back to Exodus, and I want, you to, to, I want you to see when God gave the terms of the Old Testament agreement, how the people accepted the conditions that God offered them. And it's, it's recorded right in Exodus chapter 24. I was reading this the other day and I said, wow, that's amazing uh, that it's so clear in here that the people understood it clearly, what God was saying, but of course they had no ability to keep it. Even if they desired in their heart to keep it, they had no ability inside of themselves to keep it. They could not keep the law. The law kept condemning them and condemning them. And they kept offering sacrifices and offering sacrifices and they would be made right with God and then they kept sinning and offering sacrifices and it was that cycle going on. But look at Exodus chapter 24. This is what the terms were. Verse number 1. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy elders of Israel, You shall worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice, all the words which the Lord had spoken, we will do, right? Look at verse 4. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, Then he arose early in the morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and put it in a basin, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. The agreement God had with this nation of Israel. He read it in the hearing of the people, why did he do that? So they would be able to agree to the conditions, right? And then notice what it says. All the Lord had spoken, we will do in verse 7, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant, which, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So you see that the, even the Old Testament covenant had to be ratified by blood. And this is the only time in Scripture that you see the people being sprinkled on, the book being sprinkled with the blood, everything being sealed, because if there's conditions in the contract, in the covenant, and the people break them, what happens? They break the covenant. They break the agreement. And if they break the agreement, what happens? Cursing comes. So see, here... The argument that the Old Covenant is done away with in this chapter 8 of Hebrews is because Jesus has brought in the New Covenant, a better one, one that can provide for the people a permanent relationship with God. Look at verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 8. And if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. If the first covenant did what it was supposed to do, if people could obey the law, and they had the ability to obey the law, you wouldn't need a second covenant. Christ wouldn't have to come into the world to die on the cross. The first covenant would have made people right with God, ushered them into God's presence, and it would have been done. But that did not happen. Why? Because the people broke the covenant and if the people break the covenant then the covenant's broken the conditions now are put in place and the condition was that of of uh cursing that's why when you see God raising up the Assyrian nation in the Old Testament and coming against Israel. Why was it? Because they broke the covenant. They slipped into idolatry and God raised up this nation to discipline them. Then he raises up the nation of Babylon. The Babylonian nation they come against and the same thing happens and all the Jews are scattered all over the place. And for what reason? They broke the covenant. They had no more relationship with God. So see, that's what's going on here. And this word makes sure that we don't miss that point. But let me just give you some more information about the covenants. Covenants can be distinguished in several different ways in the word of God. It can be distinguished first by participation. For example, there, there were minor covenants in Scripture, you know, just covenants between men and men. But there were also major covenants in uh, the word of God, and that was a covenant between God and the nations or the peoples, and there were five major covenants in the Old Testament. The first one was the Abrahamic covenant. Now, that covenant was before the law, before Moses, and it was a covenant of promise. That's very important. We're going to hear that again in Hebrews. The second covenant, major covenant, was the Mosaic covenant or the Sianic covenant, All right, this covenant was one of law and works. The Abrahamic covenant was one of promise and faith. Then there was the Palestinian covenant. That was the land covenant. Matter of fact, they are still fighting over that one today. That's what the whole problem is. That's my land. No, that's your land. No, that's my land. No, that's your land. I mean, it's going back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth, and back and forth. You know what? It's probably not going to end until the Lord comes back again. All right, and then there's the Davidic covenant. All right, and then we have The New Covenant. Now, wait a minute. The New Covenant is in the Old Testament? Yeah. The New Covenant's in the Old Testament. Well, where is it? Where is this New Covenant found in the Old Testament? Now I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 to 34, because this is the New Covenant. And remember, this covenant comes from the mouth of a prophet. At, when Jeremiah spoke this covenant, the people were in bondage. They were scattered. So what does God do with, the, with a prophet? God speaks to the need of the people through the mouth of the prophet. And what do the people need? They needed to know. That God was going to do something great over here. That's what they needed to know. Because they knew, while they're in bondage... You know why the reason why we're in bondage as the nation of Israel? Because we didn't keep God's agreement. We broke it, and now we're suffering for it. Because God's a just God, and so the justice of God has to be poured out on people who break His covenant, right? And so now they're in exile. They're being persecuted and being scattered all over the place by other nations... And now here, Jeremiah steps up, and he gives the people hope. And he tells about, you know what? God is going to do something great over here, and you're included in it. You may not live to see it, but you're included in it. And look what he says, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Remember, Israel and Judah were now a divided kingdom at this time. They weren't together. They were actually enemies. Verse 32, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this covenant is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity And their sin I will remember no more. Brethren, that is a message of encouragement. But that's not the only place it's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's not mentioned in that detail. Other prophets mention the covenant as being an everlasting covenant. Ezekiel mentions that someday God's going to give you a new heart and a new spirit. Isaiah says that it's going to be my covenant. Other than the covenant agreement that I had with God and the people, it's going to be my covenant. God's covenant alone, where no human being's going to be able to mess with it. It's going to be the will of God and the testament of God that this is a better covenant than any covenant because no one ever messed with it on the human level. So, what God brings to pass will come to pass. In fact, This new covenant has parties connected to it. The parties of the covenant are always Israel and Judah. As right here in in the passage I just read. Something the prophets even mentioned uh, in that covenant was the geography of Israel. uh, The land of the city of Jerusalem. Of course, they would be the recipients of the new covenant. Uh, And on the other hand, it also mentions the other nations. For Isaiah says that this new covenant has a trickle-down effect that benefits the Gentiles, Isaiah tells us in chapter 56. Yet others will gather them to those already gathered. Those already gathered are going to be, of course, under the covenant, uh, the Gentiles and then the Jews will be gathered again and vice versa. But in that covenant, God includes both. The Jew and the Gentile, which makes the population of the, of the world, are going to be included in that covenant. The provisions of the covenant all throughout Scripture will include a new heart. God's going to give them a new heart. Take away a heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. He's going to give them also the permanent indwelling of the holy spirit ezekiel mentions that in chapter 36 verse 27 and he's going to write the law inside their heart see this is what was not in the old covenant this becomes completely important and the fulfillment of the new covenant from an old testament perspective involved two parties, God, and on the other hand, Israel and Judah, as I already mentioned. And according to the Old Testament, the fulfillment of the new covenant will take place when Israel is spiritually alive, Ezekiel chapter 37, in relationship to the coming of Messiah when Israel is regathered to the land and the messianic kingdom is established. The other nations will also receive the trickle-down blessing from Isaiah. Now, the problem is this. That actually, when it comes to the church, and what I mean by that is this, there's nothing in the New Covenant passage about the church in the Old Testament. The Jew and Gentile together in one body on equal footing is explained in the New Testament. That's what Paul came on the scene for. When Remember, Paul was the the apostle to the what? The Gentiles, where Peter was the apostle to the Jews, right? And what did Paul, when he preached to the Gentiles, tell them? He tells them this, listen, I'm going to tell you about a mystery that they didn't know about in old times. And what's the mystery? That God is going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles and to do what with you? To give you a new heart, to give you the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit, and to write the law of God on your heart. That was the promise. Matter of fact, where was that promise? What's that promise connected to? It's not connected to the Mosaic covenant. It's connected to the promise that God gave Abraham before the law and before Moses, where God said to Abraham, and In you, all the nations of the earth, what? Will be blessed. That's a, that includes us, that includes Gentiles all over the place. And so, that becomes really exciting to know that, wait a minute, I can take the gospel where Gentiles are in the world and say, listen, you're included in God's plan. Let me show you. It's right here in Scripture. Of course, that's Ephesians chapter 3 verse 1 through 12. No time to read it this morning, but you can glance at it yourself. If you're taking notes, write it down. But that brings me to my, really, a fourth thing that I wanted to mention this morning. The first one uh, was that of Explanation of the two words. The second, uh, really, description of the new covenant in the Old Testament. A third uh, would be the covenants may be distinguished by two things, and then the fourth would be the purpose of the covenants. Why a covenant anyway? And the re- this is the reason why God made covenants, because God's basically unknown apart from creation. How do I know God would ever, could ever tell the truth? Or God could ever make an agreement with men? Or God could make a will that includes me? How would I ever know that? Unless God leaked it out. See, God is basically unknown, and for this reason, mankind cannot enter into a relationship with him. However, God has undertaken a program of self-revelation. That's called the Bible, right? The Bible is a book about God and what God has done and who God is and what God is like and what God requires. And you, you know what? It's not a God who's way out there and we don't know who he is and we can't figure anything out. He's a God near to us. He's a God who's actually written a book to us. And tells us, if you want to know who I am in specific detail, read my revelation. And I will tell you everything you need to know. And the most important thing I will tell you is how you, a sinner, unholy, ungodly, heading to hell because I'm a just God, can be accepted into my kingdom and be one of my children. See... So God has undertaken a program of self-revelation. Thus the purpose of the covenant is to reveal God so that there may be a relationship. That's the whole reason. The instrument of self-revelation began with Israel where God told Israel, I will take you for my people and I will be your God And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. See, that's what God told the people. I'm going to have a relationship with you. This is how this relationship happens. This is who I am. Here's the conditions of that relationship. If you break them, this is because I'm a just God, this is what's going to happen. And it was all out there. But of course, remember, they kept breaking the conditions of the covenant and severed their relationship with God. Now man today is still he still cannot have a relationship with God. And of course the reason why is because of their sins. The Mosaic legislation could not achieve the completion of what God intended. I already said that. The Levitical priesthood was lacking. And that's what necessitates a different and a greater priesthood. But it did serve, remember, the priesthood in the Old Covenant and everything that happened there, it did serve as a picture which looked forward to the reality. But when the reality to which the shadow was pointing came and Christ is the reality and when Christ's blood was finally shed, the shadow gradually was, that was pointing to Christ or faded away and having served its purpose, the Levitical priesthood and the law that guided it, and the sacrifices that were daily offered were forever set aside because there was a better hope to come, because there was a better covenant because of the finished work of Christ. So then Jesus can do what the old priesthood could never. He can give us access to God by faith, Through his grace. Isn't that not what it says in Ephesians? When we read it, it's including those thoughts in there. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves you can't add to this will. You can't add your works. There's nothing you can give whatsoever whatsoever. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so no one will boast. So when we do boast, what do we boast of? It was always God's initiative alone to save his people. They could have added nothing to it at any point in the process. All they could do, and even this is a gift, is believe it by faith. And that was God's gift to them and to us. So, I say all that to look at our text this morning in verse number 8. But I will not be there long. I just want to give you exactly what Jeremiah said. That this becomes the foundation of the better covenant. And so, back to Hebrews. Look at chapter 8, verse number 8. This better covenant is better, first of all, in quality. It says for, verse number 8, For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I'll effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, there are two words used for new. One means simply new in point of time. Uh, New in the point of time. But a second word, which is employed here, is "canos," which means "new in the point of time, and it is added to that new in point of quality." that this new covenant is so different in its quality than the old. The old could no longer stand up to it when set alongside of it. So the old covenant was imperfect. It was powerless to provide men with the power to meet the requirements. It could never do that. It never had the ability to provide men to meet the requirements of the covenant. And then, of course, it became obsolete. Look at verse number 9 of chapter 8. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Notice what it says here. For they did not continue in my covenant. And because they didn't continue, what was God's response? And I did not care for them, says the Lord. I didn't provide for them when they broke the covenant. The relationship was severed. All right, So it was a better covenant in its quality. What it was able to accomplish for those who believed by faith. Secondly, in verse number 8, it was better in capacity. Look what it says. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. These are two houses that were totally enemies with one another. In this covenant, God unites old enemies. And if Gentiles are also included in this covenant, those who were enemies of Christ can also have forgiveness of sin and be made right with God and brought into a relationship with him. So the capacity to save was incredible. And then a third thing in verse number 10, better in its ability Look at verse number 10. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. What is it saying there? God is going to not only make it a will, but he is going to give you the ability to, to obey the instructions of God and an inward desire to follow Him and the power to follow Him. That's what he's saying there. This didn't happen in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant says do this. If you don't do that, bam. This Covenant says come by faith through the grace of God, the free unmerited favor of God because He's done it all for you. And believe in his person, Jesus Christ, who establishes a better covenant for you, who dies in your place, who sheds his blood once for all, for all eternity, enters the heaven, and he will consummate the whole plan someday. See, you have to come to Christ because it, of the ability he gives you to believe and to stay believing and to make it. You don't make it on your own. You know, that's why Paul says in Galatians, listen, you started in grace, what happened? You start in grace and you continue in grace. When, I, when I'm a believer and I fall into sin, I confess my sin because of God's grace. He promised me if I confess it and agree with God I have sinned, He forgives me of that sin, cleanses me of that sin, and it's done with. But if I die with sin, that sin is taken care of because of the extent of the death of, Of Christ in my behalf. That it's not about me. I can't save myself. And I can't keep myself saved. It could never happen. And so. That brings me to the next thing. It's better in its universality. In verse 11. And this is really neat. Everyone. All kinds of people will know the Lord. Look what it says. You know what what this also means, though? I have to disappoint some people here. No more evangelism. No No more preaching. I'm out of a job here. No more teachers. Look what it says. And they, verse number 11, shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. And who are they? From the least to the greatest of them. All social classes. All color, races, rank, positions are gone. God saves people based on one thing. His grace alone. His grace alone. Not who you know, what you've done, what race you came from. That's not what it's about. The universality of this covenant goes into the lowest person on this earth that everybody passes over walks over, never recognizes, dies in obscurity. God died. He says, my covenant goes out to them. I know who they are. I know who they are. That's the covenant that God has. And then one last thing about this. this It's better in its generosity. Verse number 12. It's better in its generosity. In, brethren, in reality... It will affect forgiveness. Everything will be based on God's grace. Look what it says in verse number 12. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Brethren, the God who created the heaven and the earth, who sent Christ, our Lord and Savior, God himself, who sits at the right hand of the Father, will not remember your sins. He will not check it off in his book of sins in your life. He cancels it out by the blood of Christ. He makes it clean. He takes your sin and nails it to the cross and gives you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is pure as Christ's righteousness. That's what he sees. See, it's a better covenant because of his incredible generosity to us. Do we deserve any of it? No, we never would have. We never will. That's not the point. The point is that this new covenant is unrestricted in its power. It's eternal in its duration. It's complete in its effects. The old covenant was limited. It was temporary. It was partial. And if you disobeyed, you were condemned under it. And that was it. Of course, you brought sacrifice, but it never ended. So isn't this good news for us? How can we ever leave or say there's many other ways to God? You you can't possibly if you're listening, if you're understanding, if you're trekking, you have to give those kind of thoughts. Just give them up, throw them away, man. It's only Christ. He's the only way. He's the only way. All the other religious systems are religious systems of works. You have to do something to appease God's wrath. You have to do something to get something. It is an agreement between you and whatever God you designed in your mind. Whoever you want to call it by name. You can call it the God Jesus if you want. Sorry. No. You're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. Right? Through Christ alone. Based on the scripture alone. That's how you're saved. And that's how you're kept saved. And not only that. God says listen. The basis of this new covenant is my blood. When we come to the Lord's table. What do we say? In the same way they took the cup. And after they had eaten. Saying the cup. This cup which was poured out for you. Is the new covenant. In my blood. Hopefully you'll take on a. Better meaning now when we meet for the Lord's table. The inauguration of this new covenant, is it was with the death of Christ for the forgiveness of sin. It was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of, of Pentecost that all was included there. The main feature of the new covenant is definitely the promise of the Holy Spirit says it all over the book of acts and here right even here the writer of hebrews convinces he's convincing the jews that through the new covenant they had a better mediator than moses in christ jesus and he also plainly explains that the new covenant has replaced the old covenant That's why it says in verse number 13, which he ends this portion with, look what he says. When he said, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Now again, this could be most likely because Hebrews was written in 68-67 prior to the destruction of the temple uh, in 70 AD, so things were still going on. So he's kind of saying here, listen... Something's ready to disappear. What is it going to be? Your whole sacrificial system. Your whole priesthood is going to be gone. God's going to take it and rip it from you. And when did that happen? When Jesus died on the cross, what happened in between the Holy and the holies, or Holy of Holies? The curtain was what? Ripped in two. The thing that blocked The priest from going into the presence of God once a year in behalf of the people now was ripped open by God when Christ died on the cross because that was the ratification of the covenant. No longer did a man have to go through a priest and bring sacrifices. He comes now directly to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ plows away right into the presence of God and he brings us with him. That's what he does. Well, it says here in Scripture, the Mosaic law came to an end. And if anybody's trying to resurrect it again, they don't understand this, what's going on here in this passage. And do you know what, in reality, you know what the New Testament is? The New Testament is actually a manual on how to live a Christian life under the New Covenant. Not under the old covenant, the law. Under the new covenant, which includes the law of Christ. you ever hear that term? The law of Christ. I'm not under the Mosaic law. I'm under the law of Christ. What's that? We're going to look at that. Not this morning, though. So, what do we have? We Christians have a better covenant, solely based on God's grace, we did not make an arrangement with God in which we bargained with God on equal terms. No. Also, the new covenant always means that the, old, the whole initiative is with God. The terms are his, and we cannot alter them in the slightest. And then finally, Jesus brought in the new covenant. He brought in a better one. And I can say this, a final one. There's no other covenants that are coming. He's done it all. He provided a new and permanent relationship with us, uh, us and God. He ratified it with his own death, the shedding of his blood. And now we have complete forgiveness of sins. We have complete access to God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior. All I can say is Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, you are awesome. There's no one like you. And Lord, the Word of God itself is awesome. Who could have thought of this? Who could have written these things down? What man could have had such a plan? Lord, only you could do this because you transcend time and eternity. You are greater than all things. And Lord, you remove the old as the old pointed to the new in the person of Christ. And Lord, now we know because of God's grace to us, Offering salvation to us as a free gift that is received by faith alone and is not at all, does not at all include works, is in itself, Lord, an amazing, amazing message. It is truly good news. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning, if we know you as our Lord and Savior, we would rejoice because of it. We would worship you because of it. And Lord, if we don't know you, please, Lord, open their eyes to see. Grant them faith and repentance so they can come to you and they can see what you allowed many others to see, that they can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished in this better covenant. And Lord, we'll praise you and we'll give you all the honor that is due your name. And I pray this in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Let's stand together.